We're going to go to the book of Psalms this morning, Psalm 84, if you can find that in your Bible, the book of Psalms and Psalm 84. I always appreciate the good music around here at Riverside Baptist Church. I hope that you'll be in the service tonight. Tonight, the choir is going to sing. Hallelujah. They're going to do that without much practice, which has made Brother Bronner very, very nervous. But I'm not nervous at all. I'm telling you, as they, if they get up there and sing out as unto the Lord, I know it's going to be good stuff. I know it will be good. Amen. Psalm 84, we'll begin there in verse number 1. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. I titled the message this morning, excuse me, the more you miss church, the less you'll miss church. We're going to expound on that a little bit. Let's pray. Father, help us, guide us, direct us. We've prayed for your power. We're trusting in you for everything that only you can do. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the word of God. Please be seated. I ran across a poem. I'm not much for poems. If you've been around here, you know that. But I ran across this poem. And the title of the poem is, If You Want to Kill the Church, Caught My Attention. It goes like this. Never go to, never go to your church or meetings held there. If you do go, if you do go, go uh, if you do Trying to reorganize that brain cell up there. See if I can't get it on the right track. <laughs> Let me start over here. Never go to your church or meetings held there. If you do go, be late. It's no one's affair. 
if the weather is bad, either too hot or snowing, just stay home and rest, for there will be others going. But should you attend, be sure and remember to find fault with the work, each official and member. Be sure to hold back on offerings and tithes. The bills will be paid by the rest of the guys. And never take office if offered the post, but eagerly criticize work of the host. If not on a committee you're placed, be sore. If you find that you are, don't attend anymore. When asked your opinion on this thing or that, have nothing to say, just turn them down flat. Then after the meeting, shine out like the sun by telling the folks how it should have been done. Don't do any more than you possibly can. Leave the work for some other woman or man. And when you see faithful ones work themselves sick, then stand up and holler, it's run by a click. Mercy. You know, in this psalm, I don't see that that was the attitude of the psalmist. We see three different descriptions of a man that will be blessed. Verse number four talks about he who dwells in God's house. Verse number five, he finds his strength in the Lord. Then verse number 12, he trusts in God. And and we're going to look today at that first one. He dwells in God's house, and of course, we're talking about that man that is blessed, that person that is blessed. God's house is a term that's used for this church building, and, and we know the building's not the church, but the people, you and me, we make up God's church. Uh, assembling ourselves together in this manner is very, very important, though. It's, it's relayed in the Word of God, in the book of Hebrews, that we do assemble together. And one of the best decisions that Pam and I ever made in our lives years ago was to do our best to be in all the church services. And I can guarantee you, it truly has made a difference in our lives and in the lives of our children. It's believed that this psalm was written during the reign of King David, might have been uh, written during the annual pilgrimage that was made to worship God in Jerusalem by the Jews back during that time. It was required that three times a year the men of Israel make such a pilgrimage according to Exodus chapter 23 uh, verses 14 through 17. And these were very special times. They were special times for the Jewish people. So it wasn't uncommon that entire families would make the trips together. And once they would arrive, they would assemble at the tabernacle to offer their sacrifices to God and worship the Lord as His people. And again, reading verse number 4, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house, uh, they, will still, they will be still praising thee. We'd have to deduct that this was a very happy, joy-filled time for them. Okay, I'll say it like this. This wasn't a time they dreaded. It was something they looked forward to, to be in there. And into the courtyard of the tabernacle, they would go, and at the altar, they would perform their services unto the Lord. And upon leaving that place, after all of that, they felt very blessed, and they even praised the Lord as they went, as they went back to their respective homes. There are actually three stanzas of four verses each in the psalm. And in the first four verses, we're shown three truths that have been seen 
that should be seen in us concerning the house of God. He talks in verse number one about the loveliness of the house of God. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. That word amiable there means lovely or, or pleasant or, or beautiful. So as the psalmist looked upon the tabernacle, it stirred feelings of satisfaction. I mean, was just glad that it was in view. And the way he viewed it, it was a place of, of wonderful, wondrous beauty. Uh, but there was significance to it. Because it talks about thy house. Um, down in verse number four. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. Over next to this chapter 25 and verse number 8, the Bible says, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern, all the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. And then on down in, in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 45, it says this, And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and, and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. <clears throat> so, question, I mean, what, what was God's reason for the instruction on a construction, uh, the instruction on the construction of the tabernacle? Well, it was a place for him to meet with his people. He said, we need to have this. He designed it. He laid it out. He, 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 he said how it was supposed to be. And he did that because it was a place for him to meet with his people. So what would that say about our Heavenly Father? Well, it says this. He desires that we come and meet with him. He desires that. He's a caring God. He wants his people to assemble together. He cares about us. The significance of the tabernacle was that it denoted his presence here on earth. And that's one of the reason he, reasons he called it his house. Well, I know, Brother Marshall, but that, you know, that's Old Testament and all. I, yeah, I know. So what would the New Testament equivalent be to the tabernacle? Well, it'd be the church. No, no, no. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I love how the Bible comments on the Bible. You'll never find a better commentary for the Bible than the Bible. I mean, it, it self-explains itself. You study it, absolutely so. So the New Testament equivalent is the house of God. It's the church. When we come together in this place, I'm thankful that we get to have fellowship with God's people. We get to have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I always look forward to that. I'm thankful. I, I enjoy being around my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. But even greater than that, no offense to anyone that's, that, 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 that is listening, that is here, we get to meet with our Heavenly Father. I mean, we come here to meet with Him, the very, meet with him, the very God of heaven. I say it often, but it is true. He's alive and well. 
And he cares about us, and he looks down on us, and he, he wants us to meet with him. I, I mean, his word, compl- uh, his word um, proclaims that we are in his house. We're here to meet with him. It's all about him. That's what this is about, that we would meet with him. But there was some symbolism to the tabernacle. I'm sure that you noticed that there in verse number one, it says, how amiable are thy tabernacles. I'm sure you noticed that that's plural. You know, it's almost as if God knew that one day there would be churches all the way around the world. <laughs> Each church, body of Christ, body of Christ, body of Christ, a place that we would go, that we would be able to meet with our God. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27 says, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and, and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built it. Now you think with me. The tabernacle, it, could the tabernacle truly contain, contain the mighty God of heaven? Uh, no. No. No more than a thimble could contain the waters of the Missouri River. Much too big. It was God's temporary earthly home among the Israelites. It was a place that they could go to meet with God. It was designed by God. It was mandated by God. And, and we know that heaven is the eternal home of God. I mean, the place where he permanently resides and abides, his permanent dwelling place. We understand that. The tabernacle was a reminder to the people of God that they were headed to a better place. That we should love these earthly meetings with God. But we should be longing for that eternal home that is reserved for us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Believers will one day get to go there and dwell with, with the the very Father in heaven in his own house for eternity. It's a wonderful thought. That time's going to come. So he says, how amiable, how, how beautiful are thy tabernacles. You know, it's really something because the tabernacle really wasn't a beautiful sight to behold. I mean, the, the part that, they, that was visible to those that were coming to worship, the outer covering of all of that was badger skins. I mean, it's pretty drab, pretty plain, nothing ornate about it, truly. And we know this, so when the temple was finally built, it was decorated with gold and ivory, and being much more elaborate. But even it, its beauty had nothing compared to what awaits for us in heaven. We do look forward to that. What are you trying to say, preacher? I'm saying... The psalmist here, it was not his eye of flesh that was beholding the beauty of the tabernacle. It was his eye of faith. It's where God is, where I get to come and meet with God. Let me stop here for just a second. I'm very, very thankful for the beautiful building God has provided us. Somebody say amen. Really a miracle that we sitting in, in this place today, truly. And I'm thankful for it. Beautiful, beautiful place. I, I'm thankful for it. But I've attended church in mud huts in Africa where you sit on little uh, one-by-four benches 
not padded chairs. And I've heard the people of God in those mud huts sing with the uh, energy and the praise that we sang here this morning in a mud hut. And I know that many of those people walked miles to come to that mud hut. And probably when they, when they made a crest and they saw that mud hut down there shining in its beauty, I mean, they thought, man, what a place. I get to go meet with God. Let's not lose sight about what church is all about. I'm thankful for a beautiful building, but if we didn't have the beautiful building, hopefully we would still be ready and willing to come and assemble and meet with our God. I'm thankful for the padded chairs. I'm thankful for the air conditioning. I know some of you are going, he's way thankful for that because he keeps it turned down to meat locker. It's a meat locker in here. But that helps everybody stay awake. (laughs) Well, most everybody. Anyway, it's not about the building. You know, I love, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a, a book in my library of, of uh, pictures of, of beautiful, quote-unquote, church buildings around the world. And there's some beautiful, I mean, architecture, absolutely gorgeous. I, I, I mean, I, Riverside Baptist Church, we couldn't afford to, to build the steeple on some of those. I mean, just uh, amazing as far as the architecture and all of that. But I can promise you this according to what I read and study in the Word of God. And because of what I have seen around the world and meeting in mud huts or meeting in a room in the backyard of of someone in in Ukraine, um, it really doesn't matter to God about the building. Now, I love to keep this place in good shape. We work hard to do so. We want the outside to look nice. We want the yard mode. We want the sidewalks clean. We want all those different things. It belongs to God. We want the inside to be clean and in order and everything set and to be as good as it can be because it belongs to God. It's His. It all belongs to Him. But even if we just had a mud hut, if it's all we had, God would still meet with us if we want Him to. We have to be careful not to come to church for the wrong reasons. We come to church to meet with God, to see God. We come to church to meet with the Lord of God's house. It says there, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Over in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught us that we're to hallow the name of God, that we're to respect and uphold the name of God. God's name is 
never to be taken in vain, but we're to keep it holy and sacred in our lives, on our lips, because His name is holy. And God has a lot of names. The names of God help us to understand Him better. They're attributes. The names of God are His attributes and His character, and they help us to, to know about Him and how we're to believe about Him. Excuse me. And they also um, inspire us to put greater confidence or trust in Him. So it says here, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. So let's think about the meaning of that name for just a minute. For just a minute. It's a compound name made up of two parts. And uh, you, you men ought to like this. It, it's a militant name of God. No, I like it. Okay. The Lord Jesus Christ wasn't some little effeminate sissy. No, he was a carpenter. Until he was 30 years old. So I'm pretty sure he was a man's man. Probably hit his thumb a few times with a hammer. You reckon? He probably didn't say some of the things you said when he did that. He was a man's man. And this name, Lord of Hosts. Of course, the name Lord there, you notice it's in all caps. Anytime you see that in your Old Testament where it's, where it's in all caps... It uh, is the name Jehovah. Now that's the personal name of God. Jehovah. And uh, that of host, the Lord of host, it means that which goes forth. Or armies. Host. And it's used, uh, it's used of armies of men. And it's also used in our Bible of armies of angels. So this name, Jehovah, Jehovah Sabbath, is a name that tells us that God is in complete control. Please get this, that God is in complete control. He's in total command of all the host of heaven and all the host of earth. Preacher, have you been watching the news? Yes. Well, I tell you, our land is in a mess. Our country's in a mess and unrest and all these things. Can you believe all this stuff's happening? Really, I can't. It's hard. I never dreamed of seeing our country in the mess that it's in, the type of mess that it's in at this point. Well, there's some things that ought to be done. I agree. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly, and you don't even want to hear my opinion about that at this point. What I have to know and what I have to, what I have to go to bed with and wake up with each and every day is that God is in control. And that, and that, and because of that, that when this is all said and done in the end, God's perfect will will be performed. None of this has taken him by surprise. He is in control. <clears throat> it 
It's a pretty great name, Lord of Hosts. Uh, it, it first appears in Samuel chapter number 1 when, when Hannah prayed for a child, but it's used almost 250 times after that instance, which makes it the number one compound name of God in the Old Testament. I like it. No, that means over and over again he said, I got this. Over and over again he said, I'm in control here. Over and over again, he said, by his name, you don't, have to, you don't have to be concerned about these things. I mean, that makes it important, wouldn't you say? I mean, I, I think it makes it important. We know that he is the supreme commander of the universe. We understand that completely. Amos 4.13 says, For lo, he hath formeth the mountains, and createth the wind, and declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is His name. Micah chapter 4, verse 3, And He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall lift up uh, a sword. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Now we know that time's coming. Oh, it's not now, but it is coming. Isaiah 44, 6, thus saith the Lord of the uh, the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Well, preacher, I sure wish God would do something now. Me too. Just go ahead and take us home. That'd be good. But that's up to Him. And while we are still here, and because we don't know when that time will come, we need to trust in Him. And we need to believe this. We know it's the truth, but we need to believe this. He is the defender of His people. Stay with me here. I'm headed. I'm headed somewhere. Earlier, all the guys were going, well, I tell you what, preacher, I tell you, you know, if you just preach to the women today. <laughs> but they couldn't come up with enough money, so this is headed to the men. It's headed to the men. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. And He is. On down in verse number 11, the Bible says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And He is. You know, preacher, in churches, what we need more is we need more practical teaching about, you know, just how to live life and stuff. No, first and foremost, we need to learn how to trust God with all of our heart. We need to realize that God is still alive and well and that the promises that He gave us in this book are still as real as they've ever been. We can depend upon Him. We can trust in Him. I'm telling you, we need to... We, no, no, no. We, we need to realize that He is in control and no matter what is going on, we can trust in Him. In Him. What I see here is a longing for God's house. 
Verse number 2. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King, my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. It was, they will be still praising thee. So the psalmist, he's writing, and, and these are things for which he longs. I mean, you notice the words there, long and faint and cry, because, because they're conveying the thought of having a deep desire. This was something that was coming from his innermost being. He wanted to be in the house of God. He longed to assemble to worship with the people of God. He talks about the courts of the Lord there. And the courts of the Lord is referring to the public place of the tabernacle where God's people assembled to worship God. And he was expressing a desire that we might compare with homesickness. No, the desire was like, man, I just need to be there again. He had this deep desire to be at, at, at quote-unquote, at home again uh, with the, the members of his spiritual family. And I tell you, I know, I know and understand fully well that Riverside Baptist Church is a body of believers. That's the way it's described in the church. We are a body of believers. And I, and I understand that. But I often refer to the church as a family. Because it's a group of people that I long to be around. I long to be around the, the family of Riverside Baptist Church. And, 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 and it's, a, it's a group of people that I want to praise and, and worship God alongside of right here in this place. I look forward to it. The Old Testament word congregation and the New Testament word church both emphasize the value of assembling. They both speak of being together in a place and participating in what is going on there at that time. I said they both speak of being, being present in a place and participating on what's going on at that time. It's impossible to have a congregation or, or a church apart from the assembling of God's people in the true sense of the word. I'm thankful for the weeks. I'm thankful that the weeks that we had to be apart because of the virus. I'm thankful that we had live streaming. I truly am. It was a way to somewhat stay in touch. But it wasn't having church. I'm thankful we had that technology and that we could kind of, but no, no, no. Having church is when we assemble, when we're together as one. When we've come, stay with me here, when we have come all with the same purpose, to worship Him, to lift Him up in song, to hear from Him, to learn from Him. To see what He has for us. To meet God with God's people. The living God. It talks about the living God there. We as God's people should, 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 should long to assemble in such a place because we're coming together to meet with God Himself. And when we do not take coming together seriously, we're shortcoming ourselves. Uh, shortchanging ourselves. When we don't when we don't do that because without faith it's impossible to please God we have to believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those that 
that, that diligently seek Him. The Lord's day should be special to you and I that are saved by His grace. It should be special. It's hard for it to be special. If we're not doing our best to try to live for Him each day of the week. It becomes a religious thing. Go do my duty on Sunday. So I can just do what I want to the rest of the week. There was a goal to his longing. To dwell with God. Verse 4. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. He came into the courtyard of the tabernacle. It's very apparent there in verse number 3 that he saw the sparrows and other birds had made nests. They had made their homes beneath the supports of the altar. And and when when he looked more closely, he could not help but notice that some of the nests were filled with young birds. Right there. And very apparently he was envious of them. Man, oh man. They get to live right here. They're here all the time. No, no, he was envious that they had such a place of blessing. I mean, dwelling in God's house. Raising their young in the shadow of the altar of God. No, I'm talking about the way the psalmist looked at it. Man, look at them birds. They get to be here all the time. Look at their young being raised right here at the altar of God. God's house should show, um, God's house should hold a special place in our homes. In our homes. Don't ever talk negative about your church to your children. You'll plant seeds of doubt in them that one day will sprout. And they'll no longer see the need for the house of God. If your church is not special to you, it will not be special to them. I believe we should be raising our children around God's altars. I think it's important that we do. They should be constantly reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. They should be constantly reminded of of how He loves them even more than you do. And wants them to give their lives to Him. Because He has a plan. They should be... No, no, no. They should be reminded... About those things. To think that we're in church every time the doors are open, if we are. If we're having Sunday school, Monday, uh, Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service, I mean, you might think that we get, I don't know, six, eight hours in the house of God each week. 
That's if we hang around in fellowship after the service is over, spend some time, you know, and really try to build relationships and all. Eight hours a week, maybe. Think about all them other hours and uh, where your children spend those. And what they have coming in their minds during all those other hours. Well, preacher, we try to guard our children as much as is possible. And I think we should, absolutely so. But I'm telling you, this world as is in such... I mean, you'd almost just have to move out somewhere and not have any type of communication with anybody anywhere and never take your children to any store anywhere or the mall or any place like that because really, in our world today, no matter where you go out, we're surrounded by worldliness. I mean, things that do not direct us toward God, really things that direct us contrary to the way of God. And so, we, as dads, as parents, are supposed to be working at teaching our children to love Jesus, and to love His book, and to love His way. Because if we don't do it, who will? How long has it been, Dad, since you've taken your children to the altar and, and, and prayed for God to have His will done in their lives? Spent time praying with them. What, what are you teaching them by the way that you view church, your church family. No, I'm asking you, did they see the importance of staying in church because of you? Because of you. Well, I'll tell you one thing, preacher. I'm not going to force church on my, down my kid's throat Wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. I'm not talking about forcing anything on your children. I, I, it's about teaching them to love God and His house by example. There's a lot of young people, when they get old enough, they're out of here. Because of all the negative they have heard. Or because mom and dad don't care. And they live contrary to the way the Bible says. And if it's not important to mom and dad, why should it be important to me? They see it. They learn it. It's about teaching our children to love God by example. To love His house. Well, I'm telling you, preacher, churches ain't perfect. 
Boy, you got that right. If you ever find one it is, don't join it. You'll mess it up. No, churches ain't perfect because they're made up of imperfect people. Born-again believers are just sinners that are trying to live their life the way that God would have them to live their life. And they make mistakes sometimes. But just go ahead and go over there and study Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and see if Jesus didn't make way that we could go ahead and dwell in unity if we're practicing Christianity the way that He says. I know there's not a perfect church. Riverside Baptist Church is not a perfect church. But don't fool yourself thinking that you can find one if you search around long enough. What we should want in a church is some place that believes and teaches and preaches the Bible and believes and teaches and preaches that it's all about Him. It's all about Him. And teaching our children to love Jesus and to love His church He's the one that started it. He's the one that purchased it with his own blood. It's bound to be important to him. But they're not going to learn that if we don't teach them that. And if we don't show them that by example. Anything can come out of your mouth. Kids learn what they live. You you should be living as a family in God's house, surrounded by other servants of God, intermingling with the things of God. Well, how come, preacher? To stay close to God. Dwelling in God's house is not only taking your family to church, but, but, but blending family and faith so thoroughly that your family and God's family seem to be as one. Well, I tell you what, I just don't agree with some of the people in the church. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I didn't always agree with my sisters. Don't tell them. But we still dwell together. We found ways to work things out. It seemed to be the psalmist. It seemed, it, it, it seemed to the psalmist. Stay with me. I'm, I'm right it done. It, it, it seemed to the um, to the psalmist to be a privilege. And an honor to assemble with God's people. And to worship the Lord as one. Because we are to dwell in unity. Pretty sure it's in the Bible somewhere. 
This wasn't a drudgery to him. No, 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 no. This was something that he looked forward to on every occasion. Each time that he got to go, he looked forward to it. Now you think about it. To come before a holy God and to encounter Him in life-changing ways, you know, like salvation, life-changing, has to be one of the greatest blessings that we can experience in our lives. Saved by the grace of God. Hallelujah. And then changed by the grace of God as we hear the teaching and preaching of God's Word. Even as we're around other believers and see how they live. What God has done in their lives. No, 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 no. I mean, times like that, it's been a learning experience for Bill Marshall. Many of you sitting here this morning, you know that's true. And some of you know it, you do know it, but you've not experienced it for some time because your heart truly is not in it when you come through the doors. Your heart's not in it. You know, we have so much in this world that can make us unhappy. So much. And I think that way too often we focus on those more than on that place of true happiness. When we can come to a church service and get joy, listen to me, I'm, I, I'm, I'm quitting, I'm, I'm stopping. When, when we can come to a church service and get joy from singing unto the Lord, when we, when, we, when we come prayed up and the preaching of God's Word pierces our heart like an arrow to the point of moving us to an altar and the tears of repentance fill our hearts with the love of God once again, when our flesh begins to cry out for the living God, we can know that our heart is where it needs to be. But if it's just something that we do, for the sake of doing it. Our heart may need some work. Maybe we're not coming for the right reason. Maybe we're not showing our children what they need to learn. I think it'd be good to make some decisions today from this point forward determined to treat Sunday as the best day of the week. Hallelujah, Sunday's coming. No, I mean, get your children excited about it. Boy, we get to go to church tomorrow. Let's go to bed early. Okay, now I'm preaching, right? Determined to treat Sunday as the best day of the week. And make the decision today. I mean, so you don't have to make it every week. Make the decision today that you'll have your family in church every Sunday. You can ask Emily and Sarah. They're both here. You can ask them after service. They didn't have to ask, are we going to church? Oh, no. They didn't have to ask. We made that decision. 
And it's one of the best decisions we ever made. And when you come to church, come with a heart that's prepared and longs to have an encounter, encounter with the living God. Lord, I want, you to, I want you to speak to me. I want to meet with you. I, 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 Lord, help me to sing from my heart to you. Half-heartedness is a faith killer. And then I think we need to decide to be open to respond during the invitation. Truly. No, no, whether it be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, special meetings, I, I believe we ought to be ready and willing to come to an altar and talk to God about what He wants to do in our life. Well, I tell you what, preacher, I talk to God in my own time, and I'll do it my own way. Maybe you need to talk to Him now. This thing of being out of church, the weeks we were out of church. I don't think it's been good for Riverside Baptist Church. I don't think it's been good at all. I think we need to decide we're not going to miss any more church services to the best of our ability unless we're providentially hindered because the more you miss church, the less you'll miss church. Well, you know, it's not that important we go. I mean, come on, we were out for all those weeks and it didn't, you know, it didn't make any that big a difference. Maybe it did. The more you miss church, the less you'll miss church. It becomes less and less important to you. Get in, stay in. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh crieth out for the living God. Is that where your heart is this morning? If I was to ask your children, would they say that's where it is? I want to encourage you, Dad, Mom. I want to encourage you. Make church important. Because it is going to affect your children. And depending on how you look at it is how it will affect them. Cramming it down their throat, don't think we should do that. Training them up in the way they should go, I believe we should do that. But one of the most important things we'll ever teach them by example is to love God. That's what keeps them going. That's what will keep them faithful. Let's bow our heads. Our heads are bowed.
for just a moment. You might be here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. You could not honestly say that if you died right now that you'd go to heaven. You cannot honestly say that you know Christ is your Savior, that you have been saved by the grace of God. What well, sure like to pray for you if you're here like that today? Would you allow me to do that by just lifting your hand wherever you might be? I'll acknowledge it. We'll move on. Not going to call on you. Not going to point you out. None of those things. I'd sure like to pray for you. Preacher, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? What's your like to? Maybe this morning God has spoken to your heart. And when I have a show of hands because God knows hearts. But maybe this morning God has spoken to your heart. And maybe you see a need come to an altar. You might even see a need to bring your children to an altar. This morning, preacher, it's Sunday morning. I, I know, God knows too. <laughs> I know. But maybe there's a need to be in an altar this morning. That God will have His way in your life and in the lives of your children. Maybe it's time to make it important to them by example. Heavenly Father, we pray for these next few moments that your will would be done. We pray for those in here that do not know Christ as their Savior. Lord, only you can work on a heart. Only you can draw them. We'd love a chance to take a Bible and show them, Lord, if they would come. But we pray most of all that you'd continue to work in their hearts and lives and that they would come to the saving knowledge of Christ before it's eternally too late. And then, Lord, you do know hearts. So we're going to open up the altar. I pray that folks would come that know they need to. I don't know how you've spoken to anyone. I just pray your will be done. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to raise our children in your nurture and admonition. I pray you'd help us. We need your help to do that. We'll thank you for anything that's accomplished this morning, for we ask it. All in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet, our heads bowed, eyes closed. Closed. Some have already made to the way, way, their way to the altar. Why don't you come? You know you need to come. Why don't you let God have His way in your heart, your life, whatever He wants to do. Dad, maybe you need to bring your kids to the altar. Pray with them. Pray for them. Mom. Let's do our best to teach our children how important God's church truly is. And it is. Whatever the Lord would have you to do.